there, I'm Adam Leventhal and welcome to a special edition of the Ornstein and Chapman podcast. Today we are looking at the price of relegation. This Sunday two of Watford, Aston Villa and Bournemouth will join Norwich in bidding farewell to the riches and the glamour of the Premier League with the uncertainty of the relentless championship awaiting them. We'll look at whether this could be the worst ever season to be relegated, what the financial landscape will look like for the clubs who drop and assess the chances of any of them bouncing back at the first time of asking. Now, if you're a fan of Aston Villa, Bournemouth, Norwich and Watford, then there is no better place to read about your club than on The Athletic. With dedicated reporters for every Premier League team, plus writers covering the Championship, La Liga, Serie A and much more besides. Uh, it really does have everything you need and you can give it a try with a 30-day free trial by heading to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman. Now, in a moment, we're going to be joined by Matt Slater and Adam Crafton, both men who know a thing or two about the perils of the championship. But first, let's hear from the Athletics' Greg Evans, who covers Aston Villa, Peter Rutzler, who covers Bournemouth, and Michael Bailey on already relegated Norwich, all with a brief overview of what relegation would mean for those clubs. Legacy's been the key question for Bournemouth. Eddie Howe himself has spoken frequently about wanting to leave something, having something to show for their five years or however long they, they stay in the Premier League and where supporters, players, young players, academy players can go, look, this is what was left from the time in the Premier League. There was talk about a new stadium, but financially that's not really feasible. It's not the kind of thing that would get a, you know, a return at this point. But the training ground was the big thing. That's the big one. That's the everyday working space. That's what players and coaching staff and everyone you know, they, they, they work in day in, day out. So having that built, that structure would be a massive boost for the club. And that, that's a big thing. And, and at the moment, it, that's uncertain. Um, we understand that construction of the training ground was paused um, due to ongoing financial uncertainty caused by the pandemic. And, you know, coupled with, with relegation and, and the financial Im impact of that, you know, the question marks will remain about whether it could be built at all. And I think for supporters and for everyone associated with the club that's probably the most important thing it's the one thing they want to have you know something where they can say you know we managed to build this because of our time in the Premier League I think the fact that Norwich didn't spend much money has been a, a stick that's almost um, hit them a few times since relegation and leading up to it because some people feel like they didn't really go for it but in terms of a long-term plan and in, in terms of a club that doesn't have anyone putting any additional money into it Norwich really had, had little op option but to only spend what, what they've got. So they've planned for this as a worst case scenario. It's happened. And I think actually Norwich are supremely strong in terms of the infrastructure and the build and the building of, of the club to where it is now to kick on and, and do something maybe matching what they did in the, in the championship uh, two seasons ago. In fact, some will be hoping that the, the team they have come the start of the season will actually be better than the one that got promoted, I suppose. The one bonus that, that Villa have got, the one positive in their favour is that they have very ambitious and rich owners in Nassif Suarez and Wes Edens. The two of them want the best for Villa, they want to invest money, um, and if they do go down, it will be a case of one season in the Championship and back, but it's easier said than done, as, as we've seen in 2015-16 when Villa were relegated last time. The aim there was to get back within one season, and it took them for a... Um, and you know there was 
financial uncertainty in the second and third year. So there are issues if Villa go down, but they're hopeful that if they can pull it off and it's all in their own favour, that it won't get to that. A lot of questions for Eddie Howe, really. Um, he'll have a lot to think about once the season's over, about whether he would want to, to try and do it again. I mean, it was such an exhausting task, really, to take Bournemouth from where they were to the Premier League. So he will have to consider whether he wants to, to oversee a rebuilding project, to oversee another huge challenge to compete in what is, as, as we've seen this week, you know, how crazy the championship is. You know, from his perspective, he's ambitious and, you know, he, will he want to, to step down a level? You know, so like some of the key players in his team, is he, will he want to, you know, take that risk? And it, it, it's very up in the air at the moment. It's very uncertain. And, you know, I think for him, he, he's got to really decide what, what he wants to do. And he's given so much to Bournemouth that, you know, no one would begrudge him making a step up. But, you know, you know as, as, as the story of the club goes, there's, there's still hope. Um, it, it's unlikely that, you know, Bournemouth can pull it off on Sunday, but you won't find anyone at the club that doesn't believe that they can do it, that, you know, Villa and Watford can slip up. And I'm sure the other guys will say, will say otherwise, but... You know, they're still there and they've still got a chance and there have been positives from recent games that they can use and and maybe, just maybe, that, that can that can make the difference. Some of the luck has been out, with the exception of the Leicester game. Um, a little bit of that this weekend and who knows? Who knows what happens next? So interesting insights from Greg, from Peter and from Michael. Um, we've obviously not dealt with Watford. That is my domain. And, and Matt, of course, great to have you uh, on this uh, podcast. It is a little bit doom laden. We have to say that we're all <laughs> we're all hoping uh, that it's not going to be our club that uh, falls into the championship. But uh, going back to February, uh, we wrote that piece about the, the financial impact for Watford. And even back then, they were sort of having a, a plan B for relegation and it really highlighted how much of a blow it would be for a side like Watford, a small club with relatively uh, low revenue in comparison with all the other Premier League teams, if they lose those central payments, wouldn't it? It would and that's you know not unique to them. Um, the last set of accounts we've got, the thing about accounts is we're always looking back at least, at least 12 to 18 months. So their 2018-19 numbers were really good. They made a profit, made a pre-tax profit of nearly 10 million. And there were loads of encouraging signs. You know, they, they got their wage to turnover ratio down to 57%, which is, which is fantastic. It's one of the best in the league. And they had been sort of growing, you know, ticking up their, their all, all their key revenue streams, um, you know, broadcast, broadcast, uh, match day and commercial. But but from, you know, pretty, pretty low bases on those other two I mean they're, they're, they are and you'll know better than me Vicarage Road its limitations um, and um, you know just the sort of you know the, the struggle it is for any club that's not in the big six to really make headway uh, in terms of sponsorships and merchandise so so you know they were doing a good job but there is still that huge reliance on TV money I mean that 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 the Premier being in the Premier League is so important to pretty much all the you know all the clubs of course but simply those ones down at the bottom you know the sort of lower half and I think was Watford was about 84% of their overall revenue came yeah. from Premier League money so look you you take that away and 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 there's your problem it's 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 that simple I mean this applies to to everyone I suppose it's worth clarifying to anyone that's listening that's not familiar with how that the parachute payments work can you just guide us into exactly what 
happens because it, that applies to to everyone and there are slight alterations depending on you know how long you've been in the Premier League and things like that. The idea of the parachute payment is to encourage teams when they come into the, the Premier League to, to have a go, to go out and you know sign some better players and of course those better players will want decent contracts, they'll, they'll, they'll want to be guarded against a quick return to the the championship so that extra you know the 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 parachute payment gives you a safety net and um they've they've been tweaking it it used to be paid over four years and the idea of course was there was sort of an element of 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 good housekeeping that the Premier League felt they had a responsibility to clubs that had had a go and, and enhanced their product. When they returned to the Championship, you didn't want to see anyone going bust. Now, they've, they've gone from spreading these payments out over four years to, to two to three years. So if you've been in the Premier League for more than a season, you qualify for a, a third year of parachute payments. And, it, and the way it works is it's pretty straightforward. You get 55% of the central distribution that every Premier League club gets and and and, and that is very much dependent on the on the on the TV deal but it's you know just for argument's sake let's let's call it about 80 million so every club in the Premier League gets about 80 million and then the rest of the package will come in terms of where you finish in the in in the table so every every place comes with a merit payment obviously with the with the, the team that finishes top getting getting you know a much bigger merit payment than the team that finishes uh, 20th and every place is worth about two to two and a half million pounds um, and then the other bit is what they call a facility fee so how often you're on TV and there's a kind of a, a guaranteed minimum amount of times that every Premier League team will be on TV again it is weighted towards the better teams the top teams because they'll be on TV more often but your parachute payment is based on that central amount that everyone gets and that is you know, for, for let's, let's say I mentioned 80 million. So you'll get 55% in, in year one in, in the championship or the EFL and 45% the following year. And as I said, if you, if, you, if you were in the Premier League for more than a season, you get a third payment of 20%. So 55, 45, 20. And that, that's your safety net. That is, to, that is to protect you from immediately crashing into, into sort of insolvency and maybe even to sort of tempt you to, 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 to have a crack at immediately bouncing back. We'll go into exactly how COVID-19 and the pandemic and lockdown and the, you know, lengthened season will, will impact on, on teams' preparations in a moment's time. But Adam Crafton is also with us. Great to have you on the on the podcast, Adam. Um, you know, obviously, I started there talking about um, Watford and their finances. That's the, the financial side of things. But in terms of your understanding and from being sort of slightly removed, but having covered Watford alongside me at times this season, do you feel that Watford, if they do go down, are probably in the most perilous PR situation out of out of anyone. Yeah, to a certain extent, because it, I think from the outside and and probably from the inside as well. This season, it's it's appeared chaotic. It's appeared for the first time that you know I think there's been a lot of moments over the years where the Poz, where Pozzo has changed the manager and the initial reaction from everyone on the outside has always been what is he doing what is he thinking and then he's always been proven right because they've they've maintained their status in the Premier League which is all that really matters at Watford in recent times this year I don't think they're going to get away with it they're not going to get away with the fact that they 
you know, they stood by Javi Gracia, but then dismissed him within a few games of the season. They're not going to get away with the, the rather strange decision to bring Kike Sanchez Flores back. So they then get Nigel Pearson in, and obviously he um, does some, you know, some really good work for a period of time. The results tail off, and then the final two games of the season, you have a caretaker manager. So I think that what we've seen this year is a reckoning of the, the Pozzo model, that eventually this model, which has almost defied conventional Premier League football logic for so long has has now fallen short. What does that mean going into the championship? Well, it means that you know there's going to be consequences in terms of the wage bill. Um, I'm sure Watford will have to sell players this summer to balance the books. You would expect that. But I also think with the model that they have, the recruitment model, they'll also be aware of players that can thrive in the championship. They have got out of the championship before and I wouldn't expect Watford to be one of those clubs that falls out of the championship and then is immediately, you know, the owner's trying to sell it and there's absolute carnage from that point of view. I just expect there'll be a game, you know, a big turnover of of head coaches. (laughs) Yeah, most probably, most probably. Um, It will be interesting to see what they do with with players and and those that uh, need to be moved on. Players like Ishmael Assar, who has obviously attracted a lot of attention, even though uh, Watford have been struggling, he might be one of the ones that they they try and cash in on. Um, We'll see though, I suppose, if management are put off by what has happened uh, this season and also some of the players that are already in the building whether they simply just want to get out of there because it's been such a a crazy season. Matt let's just come to you in terms of uh, the sort of the impact of of COVID-19 and also that the the squeezing of this pre-season period which we expect will probably last just six weeks, which is what half as much as we're, we're used to. How much of an impact do you think that's going to have on teams trying to adjust and, and cut their cloth? Because it's going to be, it's going to turn the screw on, on, on any team that goes down, isn't it? Well, well absolutely. It's, it's a tricky time for everybody. I mean, often when um, I, you know, I talk to clubs that have been relegated, there, there's, a, there's a big decision they have to make quite quickly. Are they going to try and bounce straight back? Um, so you often, I've heard them sort of talk about kind of almost writing two budgets where they'll go, okay, here's our, here's our, let's try and keep the band together. Um, you know, maybe, maybe if we like our manager, you know, we'll keep him or we'll go out and get a better manager, you know, one that's more suited to, to promotions, but, but essentially we're not going to, we're not going to sell that many and we're going to sort of try and retain a, you know, a, a Premier League ready wage bill and we're going to we're going to have a crack at it in our first in our first season or the sort of other way is to okay let's consolidate let's 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 let these these premier league contracts run out and let's 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 manage this process and we'll have a go in three four seasons time um so it's kind of like the sort of the the yo-yo versus the you know let's let's just take it easy and have a breath and, and go again now um i think covid possibly means you're writing three or four budgets because there's so much unknown i mean you know everyone will be aware of course we're playing behind closed doors and we're all very, very optimistic that we're going to get fans back in in October. You know, hopefully after sort of two or three rounds of games. But everyone I speak to thinks that's going to be about a third, a third full, perhaps the forty percent. Who knows? And then that could be the new normal. That you know, we are we are waiting for a vaccine. You know, fingers crossed for second waves and local lockdowns and all that. So, you know, clubs will be thinking, okay, match day's down, um, which means 
pies and beer are down too. I mean, if they can sell food at all, which I think is a big if, merchandise will be down, you know, your commercial, your local sponsorships will be down, which of course will be down anyway if you're coming from the Premier League to the Championship. So, you know, lots of uncertainty there. And then I think the other bit that is still being argued about is 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 the rebate. And of course there are, there are rebates, Premier League rebates and and EFL rebates and we haven't not yet completely nailed down the number there's there's conversations to be had I think about um, you know the rebate effect on the parachute payment and also perhaps rebates on teams being promoted into the Premier League so there there's there there is there are lots of variables more variables than normal and I think that will make this weird summer anyway a bit weirder. Adam do you think that um, considering the fact that you know, uh, right down at the bottom of of the EFL clubs are, are really really struggling. Obviously, then that sort of slightly eases as you get slightly closer to to the Premier League and, and into the Championship. But there are still going to be clubs in the Championship in, in dire financial straits. D- does that mean that almost it might, conversely, rather than being the worst year to get relegated, it might actually benefit the clubs that have this this parachute protection around them, putting them in a good position to, to bounce back? I think it depends how brave they want to be and how many, how, how many risks they want to take. I think if you look over the recent years, you could look at different models once clubs have been relegated. So as Matt was saying, you either go straight back at it, plough that parachute money into the transfer market and think we're going to back, we're, you know, we are, we're, we're, we're a Premier League club and we're going to get straight back there. So, you know, I'm thinking there of clubs like Middlesbrough and uh, Stoke who went down, spent a lot of money and it just didn't work because you're mixing players who you've bought for a lot of money with players who have been relegated. The momentum of the whole club has, has sort of been lost. And this, this season, they were both very fortunate to escape going down to League One, which would have been catastrophic for those clubs. I think if you're being relegated this season, if I, would, if I was running a football club and there's far smarter people doing that than me, but I would be looking to just make sure that the club is consolidating. You know, keep players, if you know, as many good players as you can, but it, you know, you're probably going to have to sell your two, be- your two key assets to make sure that the club is protected against not only the lockdown with experience, but possible future lockdowns. Who knows, you know, over the next 18 months, how quickly a vaccine may come. Who knows, you know, as Matt says, with regards to the rebate, I also wonder with regards to the television rebates and things like that, what impact leads going up may have to take a very cynical view you know by far the highest viewing figures in the cha- in the championship were Leeds United matches. If Aston Villa don't go down as well, Sky aren't getting a very good deal for the next few years. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that Sky, you know, can argue that realistically, but I'm sure it will be at the back of everyone's mind thinking our league just isn't as valuable now. So I I think that that will be a big concern. But I I think, you know, Watford, Norwich, you know, you look at their accounts and I wouldn't worry excessively for those clubs. I think they're reasonably well-run clubs from, from an accounts point of view. Aston Villa, I think, could have a bigger problem, but obviously they're protected by having fantastic assets like Jack Grealish and John McGinn. But the value of what you can sell those players for changes as well once you go to the championship. It's interesting, you know, you you raise concerns about um, Aston Villa. Um, Matt, in terms of Bournemouth, how do you sort of view view their situation? Because, you know, from, from the outside, a lot of the time, the perception of Bournemouth is plucky little Bournemouth. But it's it's far it's far from the truth, is it? They've got they've got a very wealthy backer, um, and it will be interesting to see having not really 
transformed the football club in the last five seasons in terms of infrastructure and, and things like that, what the ownership situation will be at that club? Yeah, Bournemouth are an interesting one. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, they're still pretty plucky, aren't they? I mean, the cherries and they've got a small ground and all that. Um, <laughs> It's, but they are they they are a bit of they've always been an anomaly. I mean they they don't own their ground, which is which has been the problem. So what's what's the point of improving somebody else's ground? And the the lease situation has just been allowed to sort of tick down. So there's not much point them spending money at the old Dean Court, whatever it's called now, the Vitality, and and that and that that has hamstrung them in many ways. I I would worry if I was a Bournemouth fan because. You know, they've, they've, let's just say it all it all ends. They're spelling the Premier League. And, you know, what, what have they done? I mean, I suppose they've raised their status. You know, they're, they're much better known than they used to be. But they've tried to improve their, their training ground. And um, I understand that's on hold. I mean, money has been spent there and progress was made. But, you know, they still... They're not. They're not going down with a with a, with a great academy with a well-stocked pipeline, and they have this huge reliance on on their their very slightly mysterious Russian owner Max Demin. You know, just looking at some of the fundamentals, they they lost quite a lot of money last year. You know, they they spent big. They spent big in the transfer market. They've got very high wage to turnover ratio, eighty-five percent. So remember that. You know, Watford fifty-seven, Bournemouth eighty-five percent. They made a thirty-two million pound loss last year. They were the most dependent. This probably shouldn't be a surprise because their ground's so small. But they were the most dependent team in terms of, of TV money. Eighty-eight percent of their money comes from from broadcast revenue. So, so look, there's some obvious things to worry about there. You know, I understand people have been looking at Bournemouth. Bournemouth have been one of those many clubs who are sort of unofficially for sale. You know, make me an offer type for sale um, for for some time. That I can see becoming only more relevant, you know, uh, but they are joining a big group. They're joining a massive group of of clubs that, that either need emergency funding alone uh, to sort of see them through this next year, 18 months, or they're going to need someone to come in and, and, and buy them completely or, or someone to sort of share the, share the burden. So um, they're not, again, unique in, in that front. The, the thing, the, the, the worries for me is they don't own the ground. The ground is small. They've got a big wage bill, and you know where's their pipeline? What have what have they done? Well, are they going to trade their way out of this in the way that Adam mentioned with Villa? You know, you know Villa Villa have an obvious sellable asset in in, in Grealish and Tyrone Mings and some of the others. You know, and Watford of course have that 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 long track record of, of being able to sort of find and, and develop players, and they got the you know the link with Udinese because of the po- the pot. So so, I'd, you know, I just uh, Norwich of course are going down in relatively good shape. You know, they they have invested in youth. Um, yeah, Bournemouth Bournemouth would 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 worry me most. I think of those four. Oh, Matt, I would say I think you know you look at the Bournemouth squad and you've got Nathan Ake, who I'd expect to bring in money. Josh King, Manchester United were watching him in January. Callum Wilson played for England. So there, there is possibilities there. I think the fear would be, can they reinvest any of that money? And then also, what does Eddie Howe do? Because yeah, I think for Bournemouth, it, you know, it, it's a bit like their Ferguson leaving them. Who picks up the pieces after Eddie Howe? You know, how appealing is that job? If, if they become a shell of the squad that they've got in the Premier League, you know, it's not a, you know, it's not a great stadium doesn't seem like it's going to be a great opportunity in terms of how much they're going to be able to reinvest. So I think that's probably, you know, there is a football concern as well as the financial concern, I think, at Bournemouth. Oh, for sure. Look, look, every, every Premier League club 
even 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 Huddersfield, even 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 a team that's sort of disastrous that makes a really really kind of poor go at it. You know, we'll, we'll have a, a player or two that you can sell. I, I think I think that's a given at Bournemouth. That's my point that, that they they have a hole they need to fill. So you know, Nathan Ackes, you know, is the obvious one. I, I'm just not sure if you look at the age profile of that squad. It, it, it's that great. Um, you know, players out of contract. Yeah, they've they've, they've got some, and, and and they will have to sell them. Do they have many? That that would be my that would be my 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 question mark about them. Do they have as many as Villa? I I, I would argue they they don't. But yeah, I agree that they, they, they can and will have to sell a player or two. Now, I don't want to take too much of an apocalyptic view on on relegation. But Adam, I did want to come to you on, on some of the investigative um, deep dives that you've done on, on clubs like Birmingham City and Hull and, and Wigan and Stoke. All have been in the Premier League in, in recent memory and have not got back as quickly as they would have liked. And things have unravelled very quickly. I mean, are there sort of flags that you can stick in things that are warning signs for any club coming down this season don't do it like Hull did or don't do it like Stoke did are there are there sort of little warnings that you can give to to people cautionary tales I think there's lots of cautionary tales but I think you know if you mentioned those three or four clubs Wigan, Hull, Birmingham, Stoke I mean their stories are so different in terms of where their problems have come from Stoke have Probably, you know, the most solid ownership in in the championship, but they, you know, but they came down with a group of players who had played for a long time in the Premier League, um, who had bonuses written into their contracts, relegation drops, all all of that kind of thing, and and they'd lost, you know, the the sense of drive that that had driven them to consecutive ninth place finishes, and it and it all just became very very difficult to resummon momentum and purpose at the club, and and confidence disappeared from the club very very quickly. So I think that that Stoke at Wigan, it is just an absolutely freak event that has happened. I, you know, I would be amazed if something like that would would be to repeat itself. But I think what Wigan does tell us is that you know we know there's a lot of clubs in the Championship, probably League One as well, that that are up for sale. Um, that are you know clubs don't go around saying we are for sale but they are very much listening to offers and what comes with that is is risk um, because the championship is a division where people lose money and you are attracting businessmen who are happy for their business to lose money and that's a strange that's a strange concept that you don't get in in so many industries that, that you're prepared to just lose 10 to 15 million pound a year because you're pursuing something that, that you consider to be bigger and that that brings a real risk in terms of the kind of owners that, that you attract. But, you know, you look at Hull, again, a very different story because it's been a consistent ownership. But because they've taken a model where they want to be, they argue they want to be sustainable, but it's very, very difficult to be sustainable as a championship club, even more so in the pandemic now because there's no match day income, sponsorships down. So if you're, if you're going to be sustainable, you're, you're essentially probably going to be asset stripping because everyone else in the championship is being reckless and spending too much money and losing too much money. Is that too Matt, apocalyptic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just sounds like a very, very difficult place to be, uh, the championship. Uh, Matt, in terms of sort of your understanding on, on some of those clubs that we've mentioned there, is it something that is easily avoidable if you do certain things correctly? What's sort of dropping straight through? Well, I mean, again, it goes back to that, that, that sort of the big decision you've got to make, right? How are we going down? In what, in what way have we going? Have we gone down? Uh, have we gone down with a whimper or a sort of a, you know a fight to a roar to the end? You know, do I have a wealthy owner uh, who's willing to sort of kind of bankroll us 
you know, who won't who won't who won't be terrified, who won't pass out when he sees the numbers, the projections for next year. Do we have people to sell? You know, every club will be going down in sort of slightly different circumstances. So I think you just have to be, you have to really quickly get a get a handle on that. And you know, time can't be wasted. You know, what what are we going to do next year? We have to match our our sort of our new financial reality and the parachute payment helps, but it, but it, you know, pretty much they all lose money, as Adam says, and you'll all lose money year one out, out of, out of the Premier League, unless you, you know, sell, sell half of them. How do you match that new financial reality with the type of team you want to put together, the type of campaign you have in mind? So a lot of it is just, just being really rational and sensible. And, and, and there's so much emotion and ego in football. I think that's the problem. They, they, they're coming out of this, Oh, you know, we, we, we were out of the Premier League and this, you know, woe is me. And okay, we're, we're going to get back and dust ourselves down and show, show them all. It just needs someone sort of you know, often just to say, whoa, 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 right. You know, there's good money after bad situation here. What, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to achieve? You know, do we need to run at this? Should we, should we, should we have a little stop and have a little think about this? So, so it's just, it's that thing you don't really get in football. It's, it's time. It's a bit of luck. It's all of those things, really, and there's so many cautionary tales out there. But that's the other thing: football, football, football doesn't have a great, you know, record, track record as of, of, of learning, of being great at history. Everyone thinks they're going to be different than the exception. So, yeah, those are the things to watch out for. One of the interesting things is the way that a club goes down is often also dictated by the way that they've come up. So. You know, a club like Norwich, for example, came up. They would argue that obviously they wanted to stay in the division, but they didn't throw their lot at making sure they stayed in the division. You know, I think most people would argue that. Whereas Aston Villa came up and they came up throwing absolutely everything that they had, really, at making sure they stay up. Now, they may well get away with it now. But if I think that's why, you know, Norwich go down. It's probably OK. It's probably OK. But, but it's all about when you're promoted as well. Are you going up with the intention of being a Premier League club for the next 10 to 15 years? Or are you just trying to build step by step towards giving yourself a chance at having three or four consecutive years at the Premier, in the Premier League at some point? I think that's a really good point. I mean, look, you know, Villa went up and they're not the only ones to have done this. Needing to go up? Well, they were going to have a massive financial fair play issue in, in the EFL. So there was a sort of kind of last chance saloon almost element to it. And they'd already done the stadium sale. You know, they were they were they were running out of tricks to pull, really. So so promotion kind of saved them from an immediate headache. Whereas, as you say, you know, Norwich went up in in, in good order. You know, you often you often make a loss. Uh, you, you always make losses in the championship, but you often make a loss when you're promoted because there's promotion uh, uh, bonuses and what have you. You know, the same with Sheffield United. Both clubs went up being well-run clubs. But I think what was really interesting about Norwich is, as everyone knows, and probably Norwich fans are probably slightly upset about it now, they, they they remained incredibly pragmatic and rational about it. Arguably, you know, I don't know, but I'll let, I'll let Norwich fans make their own minds up about that. Perhaps, perhaps too pragmatic and rational about it. But you're right, they do appear to be a club who are thinking, do you know what, we'll go up, Maybe we go back down again. We'll have learned something though, and then we'll go back up again, and and hopefully we'll make a better go of it our second time up there. There's some clubs that can get away with that, aren't there? You know, a Norwich can get away with that. Leeds going up this year. I mean, you can imagine their fans if it gets to May next year, and it's like, oh my god, we're back in the Championship again. So it very much depends on the profile of the club. I wanted to ask you about two elements of of a football club, and we'll start with the more high profile um, players and the impact that relegation can have on them. I mean, my understanding in terms of Watford's situation is that many of them will take pay cuts 
up to around about 50%. I know that Michael Bailey has, has mentioned that um, at Norwich. It's a similar story there. Others will have their wages almost ring-fenced and there'll be um, relegation clauses and, and things like that. But in on the, on the human side of things, Adam, how difficult is it to motivate a player that has been a Premier League player, has arrived at a football club as a Premier League player, but then is retained and is not allowed to leave or no one actually wants them when you drop down into the into the championship. That That is a really tough thing to have to manage, isn't it? For, for any um, head coach or manager in the championship, a, a Premier League player who feels out of place in the championship for whatever reason. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what we've seen with those bigger clubs that have gone down or clubs that, you know, not necessarily bigger clubs, but clubs who have who have made the Premier League their home over an extended period of time. So a Sunderland or a Stoke, there's other examples, Middlesbrough to a lesser extent, um, probably Fulham as well to a certain extent. And I think that's that's that is a huge challenge for not only the board but also a head coach. You know, you have these guys who are, you know, they they don't consider themselves championship players. They don't want to go to Luton away on a Tuesday night. They want to be playing at Old Trafford and the Emirates uh, because that's what they've been used to. Unfortunately, they've not produced enough this season to make sure that's what they're doing next season. Um, and the clubs now have no choice but to have those clauses in the contracts because without them. It would be financial devastation, but but it is it is without doubt I think probably the the biggest managerial challenge for any head coach going in. And what and what it's what you often see is that within three or four months of being relegated, there's a change of head coach at, at, at that club. You know, like a Stoke. I think Stoke. You know, they had two managers over nine years at Stoke, and then five within eighteen months in the Championship. And and, and they are a stable club. So. If you, if you if you then adopt the Pozzo model into it, God know God knows how many Watford might have over the next two years. But I I, I do think that's a, that's a huge challenge. You know, if you've got players like Gerard De La Feu, Roberto Pereira, uh, Etienne Capou still in the Championship next year, you know, I think that head coach has a challenge because you know, and I'm not questioning those players' professionalism, but I think it's human nature that if you have made somewhere your home and you consider yourself to be at that level, that it's a ma- it places a major demand on your, I suppose, the way you perceive yourself. Yeah, I think, I mean, in terms of the players that you've just mentioned, I think they would probably be ones that would fall into the saleable asset category for, for Watford. And I, I would have thought that they will be quickly on their way, especially Gerard De La Feu. I think Roberto Pereira is pretty much nailed on to leave. Etienne Capu is another one that would probably go. Abdullah Decore would probably go as well, um, and maybe a few others. And also loanees that that have been out at other clubs that have um, been waiting to be drawn back by the the Pozzo fishnet may actually be looking at and going. Well, I, I was pretty much guaranteed to to be heading back to a Premier League team, so they might have uh, their agents working to get them away from Watford in the future. Um, Adam, I, I, one of the, one of, on. one of the yeah. best examples is, I mean, you look at who's the goalkeeper for Stoke, Jack Butland. I mean, he was, he was England's number one slash two, two or three years ago. And he, he's dropped down to the championship. He was meant to be, I think Liverpool and Spurs were watching him at one point. Man United wanted him only two or three years ago. Um, and, you know, you look at him now and he's been, he's been a shell of himself for the past 18 months and it's it's a really good example of how in the wrong environment players can just fall away um, when they are in a big club that has a big perception of themselves um, in the championship 
Oh dear, it's going to be very interesting to see <laughs> what happens. I mean, you know, that's a you know, players players can can come and go, and their agents will work hard for them, um, and they're probably the ones that potentially we have to worry least about with with a relegation. And Matt, I wanted to speak about the the day in day out people that work at football clubs that don't get the the headlines and don't necessarily get the big wages. Uh, in terms of you know the cost of relegation for for you know match day staff and and club administrators and things like that, how how much of a worry is it for for that level of a football club? Well of course it is. Um I mean Adam cheer up mate you're not you're not down yet. <laughs> it's always playful. Was it the goal in it? Um, but like, look, yes, of course. So, just you know, just rough figures, right? So, so you know, Cardiff, Fulham, Huddersfield, the, the teams that were that were relegated last season, their parachute payments were were about forty three million, and we're sort of estimating a little bit, you know, and that's 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 half of what they were getting the year before. So, yeah, the, the, the numbers don't lie and you'll do what you can with your, your biggest cost, your players, and you'll, you know, you'll sell a couple and you'll, you'll cut your cloth and you'll try and cut costs everywhere. And that might mean, you know, fewer, fewer people around match day. That might mean fewer people around the, around the place during the week. You, you know, you, you'll be, you'll be cutting, you'll be cutting where you can. I mean, I know it's an extreme example. But um, it's it's the most recent one we have. So so Wigan, a a relatively well run championship club, someone turns the tap off, right? And in, and in within about a month, they have football creditor debts of about six million. So that's that's wages, and they have external debt of about five million. So you know they were they were a well run club, and the, the minute the, the money stops arriving, that's how quickly. Things can get out of hand because the costs don't stop. The, the bills keep coming. You know the taxman still wants paying, and they had to they had to lay off seventy five people. That is, as I say, you know, car crash hitting a wall. But it's that that's how quickly things can get out of hand. That's how quickly you have to look at your fundamentals, what's coming in and what's going out. So, um, well, you know, relegation stuff, and that's the one of the reasons why you know um, we've had waves of interest and waves of foreign ownership and. You know, a lot of them, particularly, particularly, dare I say, you know, American sports entrepreneurs who who are used to a a highly regulated, kind of sensible, rational world where there's hard salary caps and um, you distribute the talent very evenly and equitably, and there's competitive balance built into the system. And they and they rock up and they go, right, yeah, brilliant. These guys have got no idea how to do stuff commercially. We're going to be fantastic at this. We'll sell loads more stuff, and they haven't got any advertising over there. So I'm going to sort that out straight away. Oh, hello, relegation. What? We don't, we don't, you know, this doesn't happen to me back home. So I'm, I'm, I'm picking on them a little bit, but this, this is what tends to have happened. And um, it's, it's tough. It is horrible. Don't get relegated. <laughs> if yeah, you're going okay. to avoid it. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that feeling. I get that feeling. I'm very, very um, sort of averse to putting a positive spin on, um, on, on relegation, but that's what I'm going to try and end with and Adam, you are the man to 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 answer this question. Does it have to be the end of the world if a team gets relegated? Just put maybe try and end with a, a positive angle on on relegation for any of the um, sides that drop down from the Premier League this season. It's over to you. I mean, the Championship is <laughs> it's heaven. It is heaven and hell, isn't? It? I mean, look at look at what happened um, on what, what day are we now? Thursday on Wednesday night. It was it was it was wonderful, glorious chaos, devastation. 
euphoria, desolation everywhere. At the top, at the bottom, in the playoff places. I can't think of a more emotionally draining place to be a football fan than the championship. Ask Leeds United fans what the last 16 years have been like and they'll probably tell you, you know, yeah, we felt like tearing our hair out for most of it, but it was also quite a lot of fun, I think, for these fans and particularly for clubs that, you know, like a Watford or Stoke that have they've been in the Premier League the last few years, but essentially, you know, the nub of it is, can we stay in the division? Can we get to 40 points as quickly as possible? And then we might beat Arsenal because they're not great or Man United because they're not great either. And we'll have a couple of days in the sun every season. Um, we'll go on a decent run. We might tail off at the end of the season and that's, and that's the end of it. In the championship, you may actually win 30 games next season. And that would be quite an unusual feeling um, for most clubs that are relegated. Aston Villa fans probably had a lot more fun last season than this season watching their team. I mean, they're desperate for their team to stay up again so they can do it all over again next season. But but I I don't think the championship is a bad place to be a football supporter. In many ways, a lot of people become almost more invested in it because of of how ludicrous it is. But if you you are in the boardroom, it is not a good place to be. I suppose, Matt, I'm trying to think of an analogy that sort of kicks on that positive angle and it's I suppose it's almost like being in a in a nightclub that has more than one room and you're in the Premier League which is one where you don't necessarily like the music and you hear next door that there's this tune that you really like and you're going to go and dance in there for a bit but just so you can maybe come back into the Premier League um, room when they've put another track on in in the future does that sort of does that work for you that it doesn't have to be the worst thing in the world you can just pop into another room for a bit just as long as you can get back in yeah you can go to Adams Park you can go to Wickham you go to Coventry (laughs) yeah Yeah. I'd, I'd be thinking like that I'd be thinking new grounds more wins that's probably it really. you might get you might get cheaper tickets i mean if they let maybe, you in at all maybe maybe yeah the efl away tickets are quite pricey they don't you know they don't have that 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 sort of was it 30 pound guarantee you know as long as you're not writing the checks the championship the championship can be a lot of fun as as was proven emphatically on wednesday evening but um, yeah just think about those new grounds you haven't been to adam <laughs> adam's park there you go Exactly. Brilliant. That'll be great. And Kenilworth Road as well. What a joy that will be to um, revisit Kenilworth Road. Okay, gentlemen, I think we've uh, we've done chapter and verse on on what relegation can mean from a a financial uh, and emotional uh, side of things. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for being with me. Um, Obviously, we're heading into that final Sunday. We will see whether it is Aston Villa, Bournemouth, or Watford that uh, drop down with Norwich into the championship. And don't forget, you can um, get all the the writing from from Matt, from Adam, and all of our dedicated uh, writers on all of our clubs in the uh, Premier League and also in the championship as well. La Liga, Serie A, and much more beyond. We really do have every base covered on The Athletic, uh, whether you're going up and enjoying life or you're going down. Uh, Do give it a try. 30-day free trial by heading to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman. We will see you very, very soon, whatever division you're in. (laughs) 